This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Today, our guest is Byron Reese. He's the publisher at GigaOM. He's also the host of the podcast, Voices in AI, and the author of the book, The Fourth Age. And we're excited to have him on the show. Hi, Byron. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Of all those titles, which one do you like the best? What's your favorite one? I spend most of my time doing GigaOM. I mean, we're a company that advises enterprises on how to use technology. And, and that, that is, a, is a huge mission, you know, one that we can kind of almost never live up to. But uh, it's an exciting one to me. Yeah, and it's a great resource. Obviously, I think most people are aware of it and familiar with it, but we should really be a established thing that people should go to a lot, especially with this topic we're talking about, a work minus monotony. So why don't you lead us into this? Um, we Obviously, we're talking about artificial intelligence, about how uh, the world is changing. So what do you mean by work minus monotony? I have a thesis, and it says that if you can think of any job that someday we'll build a machine to do. I mean, forget whether we have a machine to do it now, just some job that you can imagine a machine doing in the future, like, um, oh, I don't know, a drone window washer. Like, you, you can imagine someday there'll be a drone that flies up and cleans all the windows on the side of a building. Sure. If you take a job that a machine could do, and you ask a human to do that job, uh, there's a word for that. That word is dehumanizing. Hmm. Work is by definition dehumanizing because it, if you say a machine can do it, then it doesn't require passion, creativity, emotion, nothing that makes humans humans. In fact, it really is you asking a person to just be a stand-in for a machine until we invent some machine to do it. And I think those sorts of jobs are the, are the very worst. I think humans are meant for more. And, and so that's what I mean by monotony. And, and you can think of it in a macro sense of, you know, the, the example I gave, the drone that cleans windows. But I think you can also think of it in a micro sense, individual tasks that you and I do in our jobs that machines could do. So even, even if you have a great human, quote unquote, human job that requires hum, uniquely human abilities, there are probably still parts of it that machines could do and and that's that's what i think of as the monotony part because it's a non-human part it's the part that is just you physically being a machine and that's what i think we're on the path to getting rid of for everyone so you talked about the difference between a task and a job which we've had we've had guests on the show talk about this that you know it's not like AI is coming for your jobs right now. There are certain tasks that, that will be given over to machines, but maybe not jobs as a whole. Can you speak to the difference between those two? I, I think that's an important distinction. And there's an there's a often oft-cited study out of Oxford by these two guys, Frey and Osborne, that is often reported that they came to the conclusion that automation can take 47% of jobs. What they really came to the conclusion was that it can eventually do 47% of tasks. It's unclear that, uh, that that is all that many jobs, actually. Um, it's been pointed out that any, any technology that augments humans, and that's what most technology does, at its core, it increases human productivity. 
And any technology that increases human productivity um, doesn't eliminate a job. It just makes a human more productive in that job. And you can think of, you can think of a range of examples of this. Uh, there are certainly cases where, as we automated, we really did need fewer people. And because we, uh, we often say that for 10,000 years, it took 90% of us in this country, well, it took 90% of us to produce our food. And now in this country, it takes 2 or 3%. So there's no getting around. We needed fewer people in agriculture. And the technology brought that about. But in most cases, that's not what happens. Um, I'm not the first to cite the example of the ATM machine, the automatic teller machine, which sure looked like it would eliminate tellers, but we actually have more bank tellers now than we had when that came out. And the, the prevailing idea why that is is because by lowering the cost of opening a branch, this technology caused banks to open more branches, therefore needing more people. Likewise, you may have heard that Google Translate can translate a simple document to another language, as well as a human. But the outlook for human translators is skyrocketing. And why would that be? Well, the minute you lower some aspect, you take out the monotony part, translating a simple email, the minute you lower the cost of that to zero, you actually need, you open up all these new opportunities of doing business in other countries. And then all of a sudden there's a contract that needs uh, translating. There's verbal conversations that need translating. There's localization that has to be done for the local customs in that area. And so what we find is that when certain tasks are automated, more often than not, we, the world responds by consuming more of those tasks, and that invariably causes the needs more, needs more people. I mean, I believe something very simple, because there's this big debate about the effect of technology and automation on employment. Huge debate, right? Like, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't get away from it, that there are people who think this is awful for workers and that pretty soon there are going to be all these workers that can't compete against the automated machinery and they're going to be obsolete. And then you have other people who, who don't just think that's a little off. They just think that's kind of the wrong way to think about it. And I wrote a book where I, I try to explore all of the options very faithfully and really kind of make the case and think them through. But I'm very much in the camp that says there's kind of no way this, these technologies can cause unemployment because my simple idea is that automation increases human productivity, and that is always a good thing. If you, if you don't think it's a good thing, then you might want to advocate for a law that requires people to work with one arm tied behind their back mm -hmm. because that would lower productivity and you would need more people. You would, need, you would create an enormous amount of jobs because you would need twice as many people to do anything. But you've also decreased productivity, which means you pulled wages way down. Conversely, technology is like adding a third arm. It increases human productivity for everybody. And that will always be good for workers, always. There's, there's not a scenario that, that says, wow, it would be bad if humans were more productive. There's not a scenario. Artificial intelligence is a really simple idea. It says, 
let's study data about the past and use it to make better decisions. It's always a good thing. If not, then, then you've got to kind of come out against good decisions mm. and say, no, no, it's better for people if we make bad, uninformed decisions than if we make good decisions. So I'm incredibly bullish on these technologies with regard to their impact on employment. Is it potential to have a category of technology that does not increase human productivity? No, I think that's anathema to the definition of what technology does. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a macro sense, I mean, you could say if, if you made a bomb that destroyed the planet, it's a piece of technology that doesn't increase productivity. But in the real world kind of examples, that's what all technology does, is it amplifies what people are able to do. A you can move more bricks with a forklift than you can carry on your back. Um, you can, I mean, that's, that's its power. That's the trick we learned. You see, your body uses about 100 watts of power, and that is the limit of what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. And if you were dropped on a desert island right now, you would feel the limits of that 100 watts of power. Like, that's one light bulb's worth of energy. That's what you are. But what we learned how to do is harness electricity and technology to amplify what we're able to do. And in the United States, the average person uses 10,000 watts of power all the time. So you, in essence, have 100 other of you helping, driving your car. You don't have to push it. Doing all of the things that, that we can do. So, no, I believe the very essence of technology is it amplifies human productivity. And it is, in the end, the source of all wealth. If you think about it, I don't know about you, but I don't work harder than my great-grandparents did. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I live a much more lavish life than they ever dreamed of living. And it's because an hour of my labor is so much more productive than an hour of their labor. They don't, I, don't, I don't haul up water from the well. I just turn it on a tap. And so we, we're rich today versus poverty in the past, not because we just work five times harder, but because we have technology that makes our work five times more effective. And so it's always a good thing. So as someone who lives and works and talks about things that are really on the edge of technology, what are some monotonous tasks that people may not even know about that are on the verge of being automated or we can expect the next five years that, that really will be kind of out of our, our range of what we do as humans? I think they fall into a few categories. Um, think... Think about any task that two people would do exactly the same, like, I don't know, data entry. You would hope two people would do that exactly the same, whereas screenplay writing is something two people wouldn't do the same. Right. So anything two people do the same, anything, any task which doesn't vary from day to day is probably automatable. Supposedly, by one measure, any cognitive task that takes a human less than a second we can probably automate. Uh, the kinds of things we can't are obviously the converses of all of those. Um, you'll never see, and never, never is a big word, I know that, <laughs> but you'll never see like a robotic plumber who can come into your home because you know, your kitchen and your bathroom are different than any other one. Your, your problem is different. The clog is in a different place. Um, automation's horrible at dexterity non-repetitive, dexterous things like, um, you know, it can do the same thing kind of over and over and over, but if it has to vary, it can't do that very well. So I would say look for things in your own day-to-day operations that 
that you seem to be doing the same thing kind of over and over always, or you kind of do absentmindedly without thinking. And those are probably the kinds of things you'll see automated. Yeah. No, I love your plumber example because it's something that some people would consider that monotonous work, but really it's extremely varied and extremely, you know, engaging to think about, okay, how is this problem different than another problem? Is that, would you classify that as almost the opposite of monotony of work that requires a lot of problem solving, a lot of thinking? Yes, absolutely. I think that is the degree to which it, it kind of changes from day to day. Order taker at fast food doesn't, doesn't change from day to day. It's probably automatable, but somebody who paints street curbs, numbers on street curbs or something like that, actually, you know, we, we have this idea, this is kind of funny, we have this idea that there are low-skilled humans mm-hmm. and high-skilled humans. And I think this kind of misses the boat because any human can do like 10,000 things. You know, they can walk straight, they can balance, uh, they can use a rag to clean up a wet spot on the floor. They can turn the pages of a book. They can do 10,000, 100,000, a million different things that pretty much almost everybody can do. And then you take a human who does all that, those million things and they know estate planning. And somehow that becomes a, a high-skilled person. Hmm. When everybody else is, who doesn't do estate planning or something isn't. And that I, I find to be absurd. This idea that you can kind of automate what a waiter does. I don't, I don't think, you know, you kind of can because, well, you know, what happens if they send their pizza back because of whatever, or what happens if the baby that the customer brought in needs an ice cube wrapped in a paper towel because they're teething or any number of a million other things that 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 job does, right? And and yet somehow that's thought of as a low skill job. So I, I don't know that kind of. I don't believe that there are kind of low skilled humans. I think everybody is enormously varied. And what we can do better than any machine is learn new stuff. And that's that, by the way, is our singular ability as a species. You know. Um, a, a raccoon can only act like a raccoon, and a snake can only do what a snake can do. But we we can study the raccoon and the snake, and we can decide, ah, I'm going to do what the raccoon would do in this case. You know, we are the ones that can can actually learn and, and be something different than what our instincts drive us to be. And so I don't know of many jobs that machines can actually do in their entirety and the few that i do know of i think will be welcome to get rid of them i don't think anybody's going to be in any hurry to bring them back i i read that the ancient pharaohs would would take uh servants and coat them in a honey to keep the flies off the pharaoh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they would go onto the to the servants and and that to me is kind of the embodiment of these kind of these kind of jobs that no human should do and there's a lot of them because they're monotonous look if 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 you enjoy you know whatever it is that maybe a machine can do and you enjoy it because it gives you time to think more power to you but but people i believe are 
in my experience, when I ask people, would you take a slightly harder job for a little more money? Almost everybody says yes. And, you know, I, I, I hear this, this kind of trope over and over, which people say this to me. They say, look, technology and automation are really good at making new, high-skill, high-paying jobs. Everybody agrees about that. Mm-hmm. It makes um, a geneticist, right? And then people say, these technologies, unfortunately, they destroy low-skilled, low-paying jobs like order taker and fast food. And everybody agrees with that. And then here's the conclusion that people always say. They say, do you really think that order taker is going to become a geneticist? They don't have the training for that. Like, how is that order taker going to get that new job? And, and the answer to that conundrum is, well, they don't. What happens is a college biology professor becomes a geneticist and then a high school biology teacher gets the college job then the substitute teacher at the high school gets hired on full-time to backfill that job all the way down the line the question isn't can that person whose mundane job just got destroyed become this new high-tech whatever the question is can everybody do a job a little harder than the job they have right now and i I'm bullish on us. I think the answer to that is very much yes. And that's really, by the way, 250 years of economic progress in this country. Technology has always made great new jobs, destroyed bad jobs, and, and we all get a promotion. Then it makes new jobs, destroys bad jobs, and we all go up another notch. And that's why we maintain full employment in this country for 250 years in spite of us losing about half of all the jobs every 50 years. Mm-hmm. So we're always like burning jobs because technology is making great new ones and automating things, the monotonous jobs no human should do. And, uh, and that's why we can maintain full employment and rising wages while we're destroying all these jobs because we just all get to shift up a notch. We all get a promotion. So let's talk about decision-making. Decision-making is something that automated intelligence is is more and more capable to do. But yet we we almost like see that as a a very high-level decision, high-level job of a senior manager has to make a decision. But a a lot of times those decisions can be codified. So do you feel like that's something that would almost kind of throw a wrench in, in this kind of linear progression upwards? Well, machines are are only kind of good at at a certain narrow kind of decision making. Mm-hmm. I mean, artificial intelligence, like I said, is a simple idea. Let's take a bunch of data and let's study it and let's make projections in the future. There's a whole range of problems that don't lend themselves to that sort of decision making. Mm-hmm. Who should you marry? And I mean, just all of all of any decision where I don't have a million data points that I can study uh, to to get kind of definition around it isn't really uh, you know most most meaningful decisions can't actually be made by a computer. There's a reason computers do well at, at games like chess and Go, and it's because those are constrained environments with set rules and clear winners and losers. Well, nothing else in life is like that, really. You know, how 
a conversation you have. Who won that conversation? How many points did you each get in that conversation? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. So things that look like games, computers can do very well. Um, but that's a huge minority of all decisions that, that humans make. There are, of course, there are, of course, certain jobs that lend themselves to that. I, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I have noticed that when people give you the same examples everywhere you turn, because I was about to say, you know, radiologists, maybe being able to spot a tumor is something that's data-driven. Mm-hmm. Maybe being um, a truck driver is data-driven. Because you've heard of both of those examples used, I assume. Right. Yeah, because you hear the same examples over and over, generally speaking, that means there's only like eight examples total, and everybody uses the same two, because <laughs> there just aren't that many things that are like that. It's kind of like, um, I've noticed that any headline phrased as a question, the answer is always no. Always. Because if the answer weren't no, it wouldn't be phrased as a question. You know, it, do bananas cause cancer? No, because otherwise the headline would be bananas cause cancer. And, and so it's one of those things that when I hear the same examples over and over, I just, there, there just aren't that many to choose from. Well, Byron, let's take this into the, uh, the context of somebody who's, who's leading a team in an organization where uh, there's all these threats going around of, oh, no, everything's going to automation. We're bringing in robotic process automation. We're bringing in this and that. What are some ways that that, that person who's leading that team can, can calm their team down, but also be equipping them to, to make those level ups that they need to make? Now, that's a very real world thing. I mean, I get that. And, and because, you know, it's a broad question that you're asking me kind of about all jobs. And I would say that the simple principles are um, people should do things only humans can do. And there's plenty of work. There's plenty of work for all humans. Like I'm, I'm looking at a window right now as we're chatting and, and I can see hundreds or thousands of things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty of work to be done and machines can do precious little of it. So my suggestion to most people is what humans do well is learn new things. So always be kind of learning new things. Look for things in your life that are monotonous. Look for ways that if, if, if technology multiplies what people are able to do, Look for ways to use more technology in your life because that's the only way you increase your own productivity. Hmm. I mean, you can work smarter and all of that, but the shortcut is use technology to free up your time. And that can be technology in any part of your life. So if I were a manager with the team and everybody was, you know, everybody's worried about, about this, um, I think I would talk to my team about like, what are the aspects of what you do that no machine can do? And let's double down on those because I need people to do that. And what are things that machines can do? You, you shouldn't be doing it. You're a human being. You're not a stand-in for a machine, or you shouldn't be. And by the way, that's the lowest value work you can do. A forklift operator moving bricks is going to make a lot more money than a person carrying bricks on their back. Why? Because of productivity, they, they can move more bricks, and therefore they can demand a higher salary. So that would be my suggestion is, you know, focus on, on the human aspects of jobs, emphasize those, help people automate away things that machines can do for them, help people increase their own productivity. And if you're always doing that, 
you'll never be obsoleted. I mean, never is a long time, but you'll never really be obsoleted. If you're always saying, how can I use technology to increase my own productivity over and over and over and over? You know, one challenge, though, candidly, one challenge is how, who, who reaps the financial benefits of that increased productivity. Hmm. And the way the economy works, it's kind of interesting. Right. There's a group of people who sell their time by the hour. And for the most part, and they have one buyer, so an hourly employee at some place. Generally, they don't get the benefits of their increased productivity. If they check out twice as many people as before because they have an automated checking out system, they don't generally get twice as much pay. Right. Whereas somebody who owns their own time and increases their productivity, like a lawyer, you know, they can do twice as many wills as before because they have will software. They uh, make twice as much money, or maybe not quite twice as much, but, but they make more money. And so there are a group of people who sell their labor at fixed cost and don't get the productivity gains that that come about. And that's uh, that's something that you know you don't have to be wild eyed. I mean, there you can think of all kinds of ways to mitigate that. Like right now, if you're a business owner and you have a thousand dollars, the return on capital is probably higher than the return on labor. In other words. You can probably buy technology for that thousand dollars that makes more money than paying employees a thousand dollars in overtime. Hmm. But a lot of that is because we directly tax labor. If if you hire somebody, you pay them their salary, but you pay taxes on it as well, and they pay taxes. And so, direct taxation of labor decreases the amount of labor that employers buy. Like right now, it makes more sense for employers to buy more technology than it does to buy more laborers. But that's something that you can, that's like a nip and a tuck in the financial system. You know, the, 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 the structure is still fine, but there are policy changes that I think can help people gain a larger portion of their increased productivity. Yeah, and hopefully we will make those adjustments as we go through, as we recognize that our economy and our laws and governance need to also change along with our, our approach to work. So that, that's, a, that's some, a direction that hopefully we're going. Uh, Byron, it's been great to discuss these ideas, get in really deep in these. I, I think you've opened my eyes to a lot of new things. Where can we go to to stay in touch with you? Obviously, there's GigaOM. Where else can we find you on the internet? Well, thank you for asking. I'm the easiest guy there is to find. My name is Byron Reese, B-Y-R-O-N-R-E-E-S-E. That's my handle on Twitter. That's my Facebook. That's my domain, ByronReese.com. All of it. Like Just type my name and that's me, the first 800 matches. So. Um, I do write a fair amount, so I invite people who are interested in these topics to to read as I uh, write this stuff. Yeah, definitely check out uh, his latest book as well. It's it's a great one. Uh, if and and like like he said, it's it's a very fair assessment of of the world of automation, but it's also one of the more optimistic ones that are out there. Uh, not in the sense of uh, you know that everything's rosy and everything, but that takes an honest look and says, look, we're going to be fine. It's going to work out. Uh, and here's the way we're going to do it. So I appreciate that approach you take. And uh, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back. Absolutely. This has been the Work Minus podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace. 